Welcome to another episode of Sports and Songs. We're in season two, episode number 19 today. I'm your host, Dan, along with our co-host, uh, Andy. Andy, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good. Saturday today, April 3rd, and uh, Easter weekend here. Yep. The show. We've got lots of uh, March Madness wrapping up. We've got lots of hockey, college, college hockey, college basketball, pro baseball. Major League Baseball kicked off their season on Thursday. We're in full swing now, so uh, I see you've got well, the Mets cap on. Mo- most teams kicked off this weekend. Yeah, we had a couple of rainouts. Uh, Boston looks like the Mets. And the Mets had to cancel because of COVID. Um, a few players of the Nationals mug? got the flu there and had to postpone that series. And what's your so coffee mug? Monday. What's your coffee mug today? Uh, I got my Harmon Kilbrew mug today. Nice. And uh, – yeah, so the Mets will start their season Monday in Philadelphia. They got the weekend off. Yeah, so they, I don't know what the schedule is for the makeup of those games. So they'll try to throw double headers in there. Um, it's kind of the nice thing about the – it was the Nationals, so you're close geographically. On uh, travel days, so they want to throw something in or if they want to throw a double header in or how they're going to do that. If maybe the games will be played up at City Field, but the Nationals will be the home team, you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of mix up to start the season. Now the Twins had a healthy lead going into the ninth. Blew it. Lost to ten innings against the Brewers in uh, yeah. in Milwaukee. On opening day, yeah. Twins uh, spend big bucks to go after the relievers. They now have one of the best relieving bullpens in the major leagues on paper. On paper. First game, we get a blown save and a loss because yeah. of the bullpen. Now, to a point, though, in the way that loss was because of the whole starter runner on second base bit. I, I, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. like it. It doesn't take much. A couple, uh, you know, a, a single, and that's it. The, the game's over. So, uh, yep. Now, I can see if it was like after the 12th inning, you know, I do it, but not in the 10th and 11th. You're just, you know, let it go. But, and I'm not saying that because it wins a loss. I've just never been a fan of that starter runner on second base thing. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It moves the game uh, along quicker, I guess. But we'll have a lot of games ending in the 10th inning, I have a feeling. Yes, yes. Uh, should we start off with a trivia question? Yes, go ahead. What do you got for trivia, sir? Trivia this week is going to be focused on women's basketball in the NCAA Division One. Now, Final Four championship game is tomorrow on Sunday. The semifinals were last night. Arizona Wildcats made it to the finals by beating number one seeded UConn and Paige Beckers uh, pretty handily. They had a wire to wire finish to lead. This was only in the program's history for Arizona, the second time ever they've beaten a top five ranked nationally ranked team. Wow. In their program's history, they've only done it once before, and this was the second time ever. Uh, so the championship game will be Stanford Cardinal on Sunday, and uh, both teams from the Pac-10, we'll cover this more in the basketball section, but uh, a, a Pac-12, Pac-12 national title between two teams, the best two teams in the Pac-12. And so the question is, uh, who did Arizona beat in their other top five team they beat on a national, uh, nationally ranked team? They've only done it twice in their program's history. Last night was one of them. Who was the other one? All right, let's start off with some high school sports, maybe. All right, yeah. Uh, got some stuff here. We'll start my graphics up here. Oh, yes. High school hockey. 
Uh, boys tournaments going on. Their championship game is uh, today, the third. They um, it's Gentry Academy, who is the number two seed overall going in against Dodge County. Now, Dodge County made the championships. Uh, they had to play the number one seed Hermantown on the first game. Hermantown had had COVID issues, so they had basically the JV team plus like maybe one or two guys from the varsity team were able to make it. Uh, Dodge County ended up uh, winning the game. Um, and then they ended up beating Little Falls the other day. So, therefore, Little Dodge County playing in the championship game against Gentry Academy. So, that should be a good game there. Gentry has been pretty high ranked all year. Uh, they are undefeated going into it. Dodge County was, was thir- or 17-3 and three coming in. So, that should be a good game there. Wow. Uh, girls State Tournament. Or, I'm sorry. And then the boys, double-A. You got uh, – Lakeville South against Eden Prairie. Eden Prairie over Maple Grove in overtime last night, six to five. Um, Wyzetta had a first round bye in their brackets because Hill Murray, the number two seed, had COVID and they couldn't get a JV team or anybody down in time. So Wyzetta got that first round bye, but uh, that didn't stop Lakeville South from still you know, beating them. But so we got Lakeville South and Eden Prairie then is the night game for the for the boys tournament. For the girls, we got. Proctor Hermantown, the three seed, uh, they beat War Road to get into the championship game. And then in the other game, it's Gentry Academy again, and they beat Chisago Lakes. So that's the girls' A for girls' hockey tournament. And then for double A, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, the battle of undefeated. It's Edina 19 0 against Andover 20 0. So that's the uh, one o'clock game today at the X for girls' hockey. And in that one, uh, Edina got a first-round bye because of a COVID game. Centennial had COVID, or else you'd have two 20-0 teams going at it. But they're 19-0, and or, I mean, they'd have the same amount of wins. So they're 20-0 against 22-0, so that should be a good game there. Boys basketball, we announced all the winners last week of their uh, sections. They did play the first round of games already. Um, so they're down to the final four in each section right now. And for boys 1A, it's Hancock and Sleepy Eye St. Mary's and Hayfield and Badger in the lower uh, tier for A. Boys AA is Minneapolis North and Caledonia and Wasika and Fergus Falls in the lower bracket. 3A is Alexandria and Richfield and Mihaha Academy and De La Salle. That should be a good game in the lower bracket there. And in 4A, you got Maple Grove and Creighton Durham Hall. Bottom bracket is Shakopee and Wyzetta. The girls, uh, they did the same thing too. They uh, had their first rounds of games. So they're down the final four in each conference, or each uh, section. Section A, Belgrade against Sleepy Eye St. Mary's. And in the lower bracket would be Miniota against Mountain Iron. Uh, 2A is Albany and Glencoe Silver Lake. And the lower bracket is New London Spicer and Providence Academy. Now, when I say lower bracket, I'm not saying they're worse. I'm just saying as you look at your bracket, the lower bracket. So, 3A, Academy of Holy Angels against Marshall, and then Hill Murray and Becker. 4A, the lower bracket game is Rosemont and Centennial. And the upper bracket, uh, like we talked about on the pre-show meeting, in my opinion, is really the championship game, Hopkins and Chaska. will be this on April 7th at 7 p.m. Target Center. So, uh, Wednesday night. Lenten services are over. You're not going to be at church. I think uh, catching that game would be a good thing to do if I was you. Okay. 
Um, moving on. Uh, Should I? Uh, I got a couple notes on high school girls basketball. While you're yeah, go ahead. Up, basketball. I mention, yeah, I go ahead. Yep. So I've got some notes on class four A. Uh, uh -huh. There was four undefeated teams coming in to the quarterfinals in the state. Two of them lost. Farmington ranked second in the state, got beat, upset by Rosemount. And remember, Rosemount got into the state by winning a forfeit over Lakeville North due to COVID. Yep. And so I believe it is Rosemount's ranked like 10th in the, in the state. They're just barely a top oh, yeah. 10 team. And they now find themselves in the state semifinal, uh, beating beating Farmington. Uh, huge upset there. Stillwater also came in undefeated. Chaska beat them. So there's only two undefeated teams left. Now they're going to be playing each other. Hopkins against Chaska, the only two undefeated teams left in the state of Minnesota, will be playing each other in that semifinal game Tuesday night, 7 p.m. That will be, like you said, that will be the state title game, in my opinion. Uh, this, this is two teams that are ranked nationally. Hopkins ranked fourth in the nation in high school girls basketball. Chaska's ranked 20th in the nation for high school girls basketball. Uh, Hopkins has 78 straight wins. I think the state record is 79. Uh, Hopkins wins that game. That'll be a state record, and they're going to send home uh, undefeated team Chaska. But uh, that's going to be unreal. Try to watch that game, stream it, attend. They may be giving out... Uh, selling tickets, maybe 250 at Target right. Center to go watch that game. I've already got a request in to try to go in person to watch that game. I would like to watch that. Uh, the player of the year was announced in the state of Minnesota. The Metro player of the year was Maya Naji. She is that junior from Hopkins, the player of the year for Hopkins. They also have uh, Amaya Battle was uh, first team all state, all, you know, all Metro team, both players from Hopkins. I know Jaska has Mallory Heyer, the University of Minnesota recruit um, listed on that first team, all Metro team. So you're going to see some good athletes there. Uh, uh, Meyer's go uh, Mallory Heyer is going to the University of Minnesota in two years uh, for, to play some D1. They also have Kaylee Van Epps playing D1 next year at Lehigh uh, as she's a senior this year. Great matchup for that game on Tuesday night. So we'll be covering that. Uh, once again, that's a seven o'clock game. The Rosemount against Centennial matchup is nine o'clock at Target Center. Once again, Centennial's ranked seventh in the state. Rosemount's 10th in the state. Should be a good, 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 uh, you know, good, good matchup. But whoever wins that, I don't think it's gonna be any match for either the number one or two team ranked in the state. Chaska's number two, Hopkins is number one in the state of Minnesota. That's a one-two matchup in the semifinal. That's going to be awesome. And that's all I've got. For, now, like uh, for, for basketball, they do rank the teams in the going to the tournament. So you can say, well, why are Hopkins and Chaska playing early? Because they were in the north bracket. So they were one-two in the north bracket. That's why they're playing in the semis for that yep. section. So for those who want to know that. They, did, uh, they broke um, that down into north against uh, south. And so the south teams – uh, it's how they it's how they broke that up north versus south. So it ended up that way. But typically, you wouldn't have these two playing uh, except in the championship game. Now they get them in the semis. But regardless, both teams wanted to play each other. Chaska had Hopkins on the schedule once COVID and everything came out. 
yeah. teams were losing games. They added them to the schedule, and then that got postponed. So the two teams did want to play each other, and uh, this will be a battle, battle royal here, King of the Mountain, King of the Hill yes. for uh, State of Minnesota. Hopkins, of course, is heavy favorite, but I think this would be a good one to watch. Okay. Uh, some college tournaments getting into uh, NITs did wrap up. Uh, the men's NIT, Memphis, ended up beating Mississippi State. And in the women's NIT, it was Rice over Ole Miss. Uh, men's hockey, Frozen Fours in Pittsburgh on the 9th and 10th. And uh, three out of the four teams are Minnesota-based. Uh, we got uh, Minnesota Duluth. We'll be playing UMass, who, who UMass ended up beating Bemidji State, or else we would have had all four Minnesota teams in there. And then the other bracket, it's uh, Minnesota State, Mankato against St. Cloud State who upset uh, Boston College, my other Final Four, my other championship team. So my men's hockey bracket's in the trash. But, yeah, so the Final Four in the ninth, Duluth and UMass, then uh, Minnesota State and St. Cloud, and the championship game is the next day. They're in Pittsburgh. Men's Final Four for basketball, Gonzaga and UCLA. I'd like to take a personal note to thank UCLA for beating Michigan. I have an outside chance of coming back and winning my basketball bracket because of that. So thank you to UCLA. And Baylor and Houston. Um, again, personal note, Houston, please win so I can win my basketball bracket. So oh, I have no. Now, Andy, I thought your basketball bracket was toast after the first game. Well, it was to have Ohio State in there. But then yes. I, looked at everybody else, I looked at everybody else's in my uh, pool, and I had a bunch of other Big Ten homers in there that all had – Ohio State or Purdue or Michigan winning it in that. So I've kind of snuck in here through the back door. Back, You battled your way back. I, yes. Uh, so I think I'm like the only guy that Houston going to the Final Four, so that's what's helped me out. Wow. And I think a lot of others also had Ohio State. And I didn't realize that many guys had it going that deep. I, one guy had Purdue winning it. So wow. um, I'm backing in the back door here, outside chance. And then, uh, like we said earlier, the women's Final Four is set at Stanford and Arizona, down in San Antonio. I don't think this is the picture they planned on using for their championship. There you go, Stanford Cardinal and Arizona, a one and three seed plan, uh, both from the same conference there. That doesn't happen very often. So good luck to those gals playing tomorrow night. Um. What time is that game? Uh, it's a, the 7 o'clock game. It's going to be on ESPN, I believe. Okay. College baseball. Um, Gophers are at 3-13 and 13 right now this weekend. Michigan State, and then next weekend they're at Iowa. Uh, Gophers are, to, to say struggling is kind of an understatement this year. The women's softball. Gophers softball is 13-4, and they're third sitting in the Big Ten right now. Uh, games against Purdue this weekend and Northwestern next weekend. So uh, Lady Gophers doing well there in softball. Bemidji State baseball team is not off to a good start, 2-15. and 15. As you see, they lost a doubleheader yesterday, 21-0 and 24-0. These are baseball scores, not football scores. <laughs> um, they finish up with Augustana today, then two against Wayne State on Wednesday. Uh, Bemidji State softball, 5-13. and 13. They got Sioux Falls this weekend and St. Cloud State. Uh, Bison football, they had a COVID-called game last week. Uh, next Saturday, 
they're away at Northern Iowa. Then they uh, have a rescheduled game on the 17th back at home against St. Cloud's, or I'm sorry, South Dakota State. And they'll wrap up their season. The Bison are currently ranked second. Um, so we have spring football going on. Bison fans, there's still some football to watch there. Opening day was this weekend. A um, couple things, like we talked about the Twins earlier. Uh, Mets three-game series was postponed because of COVID on the Nationals part. Um, there was one odd play uh, in the Dodger game. Cody Bellinger, the runner on first, uh, I think it was uh, Turner was on first. Bellinger hits one opposite field. It's going deep. He, he hasn't hit an opposite field home run in a year, so didn't know it was going to go out. Runner Turner rounds the second base. He thought the ball got caught. It was actually a home run. So he turns around, takes second, starts heading back to first, and ended up passing Cody Bellinger on the base pass. So Bellinger's out because he got passed up by the lead runner. It was a home run. They let Turner come around and score. So Bellinger's credited with a, a single and an RBI. <laughs> so if he loses the home run title by one, I think whatever bonus he had in that contract comes out of Turner's check. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, the, Justin Turner, uh, nicknamed Yukon Cornelius, their uh, yes. baseball wonder. Yes. Uh, the Mets did re-sign Francisco Lindor, or gave him an extension. I'm sorry, extension. 10-year, $340 million, $341 million, um, which is one more than what Fernando Tatis' contract is, and he did top uh, the present-day value of Mookie Betts' contract. So Fernando Tatis, 10-year extension. And even after they're done paying him in 2032, the Mets will still be paying Bobby Bonilla for three more years after that. Uh, ouch. Uh, July 1st is Bonilla Day. We will cover the Bonilla contract in depth that day. I did some research on it today. It's uh, His contract, if you know a lot about finances, his contract was a Ponzi scheme. He got roped in. The Mets got roped in on one of those. Um, it's kind of a... Sidebar on that, Benia's getting like a million something a year. Yes, he's getting a lot more in his contract, but in baseball terms, where they're paying right now, what's well, a million dollars a year to a player? So, when's the last time he set foot on a baseball field? Uh, was it 2011? I think. So, a million a year, and uh, he's yeah. sitting at home. That's awesome. Yeah, he'll be collecting a check to 2035. His total payments for all that, because part of what he's paid is also part of his original contract or end contract with the Baltimore Orioles. He signed oh, a big deal right. before he went to the Mets. <clears throat> and then I think the Mets pawned him off on the Cardinals for a couple of years after that. But so he's getting part of the Oriole money. I think his original contract was like $15 million or some goofy thing or $25 million, some goofy thing like that. He's going to end up getting close to $60 million when it's all said and done. Mm. Wow. So, uh, uh, Mets prospect of the week, Sam McWilliams, uh, right-handed relief pitcher. We start as a starter. He's going to pick up as a reliever this year. Uh, he's been through quite a few organizations. Uh, 2014, he was an eighth-round draft pick out of Tennessee High School. He was moved by the Phillies to the Diamondbacks uh, in 2015 as a trade, and the D-backs traded him to the Rays, Rays uh, to the Royals in a Rule 5 pick. Long story longer. Through Tampa, time with Tampa, and that he ends up with the Mets. Kind of fitting the Mets' MO on some pitchers. He's six foot seven, 
Mm. Uh, he's kind of a late bloomer when it comes to being a pitching staff. He started out with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball reliever uh, in the Rays when he was in the Rays organization. He's still hitting about mid-90s right now. Uh, he's been, you can throw a curveball and change up, but look for him to come up this year. Sam McWilliams, 6'7", tall, blonde kid. Not as blonde as Syndergaard, not as built as Syndergaard, but tall, long hair like that, 6'7", throws mid-90s. That could be a nice relief pickup mid-season there. Um, let's see. I do have – I have uh, my person of the week, and I do have some uh, concerts to go over later. First of all, the person of the week, forget the concerts. So this little meme up here. This is the anniversary of David Lee Roth leaving Van Halen. Much as most of us want to believe this is the reason why, the movie Wedding Singer, that is not why David Lee Roth left Van Halen. Um, what it is here, Van Halen, a little history on the band first, for those of you who don't know who they are. Uh, jumped in the music scene in the 70s. Uh, the music scene didn't quite know what to do with their music at the time. Disco was still huge. Punk bands were considered huge rock bands, and the huge rock bands were like Zeppelin was old hat then. Um, yet Van Halen was something different. Uh, Eddie Van Halen uh, wrote, rewrote what was possibly on the guitar, his signature tapping style. And David Lee Roth on stage just was not the typical lead singer you saw in bands. So they were kind of new to the scene. What they were doing was real cutting edge at the time. And it was not a rock genre era of time. And then suddenly, after six years of infighting and differing versions of what the band should be, David Lee Roth was gone, embarking on his own huge solo career. Van Halen recruited ex-Montrose singer Sammy Hagar and continued their streak of success without much of a hiccup. Roth would actually return to the fold more than once in the following decades, showing that he and the brothers Van Halen were a very volatile mix. But what made Roth leave Van Halen in 85 at the height of their fame. I mean, you're, you're on top of the world. You just had the 1984 album. You, you could do no wrong. Um, and all of a sudden he left. Um, when you have a band named after you, like Eddie Van Halen does, you probably have to say, you have to say in the direction of the music and the image the band leads in. That became more and more clear as their popularity surged. With Roth wanting to keep things loose and fun, Eddie wanted to become more diverse and music-orientated. And I could kind of see that between the two. I mean, first of all, this story I'm doing is not a rip on either one. I love Eddie Van Halen, great guitarist. I love David Lee Roth. But we all have that. We've all been in those situations at work. A guy you get along with, good away from work, but not at work. That's kind of what their situation was. Uh, the band toured their massive 1984 album. Um, that's where the friction between Eddie and David Lee Roth really started. Um, what happened is... Eddie Van Halen, well, first of all, some of their earlier albums, they did a lot of covers. And David Lee Roth liked doing covers. Yeah. You can tell that in solo stuff. He's always got a couple cover songs on there all the time. Um, Eddie didn't want to. He wanted to prove that I'm a guitarist. I'm a writer. I, I've got, I could do things. Uh, right before they recorded the 1984 album, Eddie Van Halen had the studio built on his property. So he kind of had a lot of control. It's all right at his house now. Um, so they recorded it there. Before now, this is before the '84 album came out. He named the studio 5150, hence the album a couple years later with Sammy Hagar. 
Okay. So that's where that name came from. It was before, it was when David was still there, it was called 5150. Um, Roth, they, they had creative control over stuff. Eddie was very intelligent, I say was because he passed this last year, was very intelligent musically. He wasn't just some dumb guitarist like some bands have. He knew what he was doing. Um, there was also some issues coming up. There's rumors that went around that uh, Eddie Van Halen was going to leave and join KISS for a while because he was friends with Gene Simmons. First of all, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley both said they never asked him to join. It came up in conversation once and Gene told him, no, stay where you are. Um, so that came up. Uh, Sammy Hagar came in. That broke up later on. Eddie Van Halen, if you go back and read the other stuff, things he said about Dave when he left, things he said about Sammy when he left. Eddie's a very sore loser on that stuff. I, I, I think musically he's just real competitive, like a competitive athlete, rips on his ex-teammate. Um, Eddie was great. Like I said, this is not a bad mouth on him at all. Just uh, this, the band, they just didn't mix after a while. Their creative differences were going different directions. Both end up still being very successful in what they did. Um, I just kind of wish I, I'm kind of glad they didn't do the two year reunion tour like some bands do because you know it's just a pure money grab. Um, I, I was okay with the few one offs they did here and there because that's all like by stand each other was for a night, but yeah, it was it was creative differences basically is what it came down to, is why they split up. Uh, but that was on this date in music history, if you will. Um, Coming up on stuff like that for Tuesday's show of mine I have on Instagram, uh, page two, I'll be talking about the retirement of Roy Williams from North Carolina State this year. So uh, basketball fans hang out Tuesday for that one. Uh, before I get into uh, concerts, sir, and your album of the week, I'll do concerts. I'll do trivia answer. Is that okay? Yes. All right. Concerts coming up this Friday the 9th. We'll be at Medina for the Heartless show, Arena and Heartless. And other concerts at, Edina, at Medina, please check their website. Here's some others coming up. May 7th, 2022, Godsmack is going to be at Target Center. They've kind of repushed that out again. Um, so it's 93X. Keep an eye on their site if you're into that. Or if you bought tickets already, keep an eye on that. June 8th, Skyway Theater. These are all rescheduled dates from concerts last year. Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. We'll be playing there his 31st anniversary tour, um, doing all of his makeup dates from last year. July 2nd and 3rd, Target Center, Rage Against the Machine. As you can see on their ad there, it was originally supposed to be May of last year, so they're going to try to get it in July. Uh, July 8th at U.S. Bank Stadium, the tour, uh, again, a rescheduled one from last year. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett. Uh, me personally, Motley Crue and Def Leppard, I've, from what I've heard recently, just sound terrible live. I'd probably leave after Poison if I went to that one, but that's me. July 16th, Target Field, Guns N' Roses. Um, that's, again, a remake, or not remake, rescheduled from last year for their concert there. And that is what I have, sir. That's my little segment of the show today. But your trivia answer, women's basketball. Women's basketball. The question is, we've got Arizona versus Stanford in the Women's Division I Basketball Championship game on Sunday evening. The question is, 
Arizona only has only twice in the history of the program beaten a a ranked a top five ranked team. Last night against UConn, they did that. They've only done that one other time. The question was who was that other team, and the answer is Stanford. Last year in February, Arizona Wildcats beat Stanford in overtime, and so. They have only two wins ever in the history of their program of beating top five teams, and they get to try again that on Sunday evening. Um, Stanford, once again, heavier favorite, um, really good team. They've been to the final four. They've been to the championship game four times in their program's history, winning twice and most recently and losing the last two times they were in that championship game. So they're two and two in the national title games. Arizona, once again, never even been to the final four. No, this is well, the first yeah. time for them. Which is kind of weird because uh, the Pac-12 has some good teams. You'd figure over the years Arizona might have had an upset somewhere in there. But uh, getting back to UConn, they've lost in the Final Four the last four years. The last four Final Fours they've been in, they've lost. Yeah, they haven't reached. Uh, they've gone, you know, to the Elite and Eight and Final Four so many consecutive years, but have never gotten out of that in the last recent, right. recent years. And then, uh, as again, we talked about on the pre-show meeting, Arizona – if you go back to last week's show, I said they're loving everybody else getting attention. Arizona, watch Arizona, they're going to sneak on by, which they have. And even the NCAA didn't appreciate Arizona. Their whole Final Four hype video, they didn't put Arizona in it. And now who's playing in their championship game? Arizona. Well, that's, so, that's, that's interesting because the uh, NCAA put together a promotional video for the Final Four showing clips of each of the – would be the, the four teams remaining showing highlights uh, as a promotional video. Well, Arizona watched it and says, we're not mentioned in there once. There's not a single clip in the final four promotional video for NCAA yep. uh, D1 women's basketball that shows Arizona. They complained and said, hey, you know, we got dissed. What, what's the deal? NCAA says, oh, we didn't know that it must have been a mistake. But we'll pull that video down. Now, what I would say is, I don't know how that would be a mistake. By the time that video gets edited right. put together, uh, it's got to get the blessing of some manager management uh, up the ranks to get the blessing before that goes live on social media. How was Arizona not in any of the clips at all? And how does that even happen? So they apologize for it, but I find that very hard to believe it would even get that far. Uh, yeah, and Arizona was ranked third in that bracket. It's not like there were a 14 seed that snuck all the way through and you have no clips of them from the season or something like that. But even then, you've had how many days to find them? This is... Yeah, and so what they did is you know, they, they said it was a mistake and they pulled that video down. But uh, that's, that is pretty poor. And I think that's what they did is motivate Arizona because they played wire to wire. They outplayed, out-hustled uh, UConn and sent UConn home. Now, earlier in the week, in the week the AP player of the year was Paige Beckers was named first yep. time ever a freshman was named the player of the year in all of college basketball. Uh, that is amazing. Uh, and so yeah. next year is going to be fun to watch that whole UConn team is made up of uh, mainly underclassmen. Yep. And they got the number one high school recruit again this year coming out from Washington DC recruit. Number one recruit in all the nation in high school is going to yep. UConn. Now I looked Andy at the top 10 for recruits in the nation. The 10th best player in the nation is also going to UConn. So we, we hear all the hype. We hear yep. all the hype of the number one player. 
Um, they've had that two other times uh, currently on the roster. There's two, you know, Paige Becker was the number one recruit in all the nation. And they've also had that other uh, gal who's a uh, senior this year. I think it's a, I think it's a junior this year was the number one recruit in all of the country two years ago or three years ago. So now they're going to get another one. And what isn't noticed, isn't mentioned too often of the top 10, the number one and the number 10 player in all of the country are both going to UConn next year. They're going to be tough. Yep. Now, and, you know, uh, thing, last thing I've got for the NCAA uh, championship game for women's basketball is Arizona is only making their eighth appearance in the NCAA tournament in their program's history. So this will be fun to watch. Yeah, two things about that is, A, you got to remember the women only started going to 64 teams a few years ago. It used to be just like 16 or 24 teams, so there wasn't a big pool to draw from. And uh, on the men's side, Luke Garza from Iowa was men's player of the year for NCAA. So. Now I've got two final notes on, uh, on sports. Twins, baseball, and St. Paul Saints. Mm-hmm. Twins will start off with first. They had that first game. Uh, Byron Buxton hit a home run that was measured at 456 feet there at Miller Park. Uh, and I watched that thing. And he launched. Gone. He uh, launched that thing. And so we got to remember, Buxton still does have that power for the long, uh, long ball, but strikes out a lot. Sano, Miguel Sano strikes out a lot. So it's going to be yeah. interesting to see what happens. Now, the St. Paul Saints did announce their roster for AAA baseball. They're going to be the AAA affiliate for the Twins this year. I did a show on Wednesday midweek bonus episode on the outfielders, uh, current outfielders for the Twins and the prospects of those coming up. And uh, if you listen to that, it was a 13-minute segment. Uh, I would like to say that the Saints, when they announced their opening day, here's the outfielders. And I've covered them all in this little pregame show. This is going to be fun to watch. they got Alex Kirilloff, of course, uh, playing at AAA. Brent Rooker, AAA, fun to watch. Trevor Larnick. Larnich is at AAA. These are the three three top outfielders the Twins have are all going to be playing all on one field for the Saints. And then they have Keon Broxton and Rob Refsnyder on the squad as well. These guys are both uh, veterans uh, in the major leagues, both 30 years old that have had some major league time that are trying to bring back and come back and make it again on a uh, major league roster. So they will be fun to watch. These young prospects will, of course, be fun to watch. But uh, it does seem that the uh, the Saints will have one of the better outfielders in all of minor league baseball. Can any of them play third base for Josh Donaldson? No. You know what? But Travis Blankenhorn plays third base and outfield. Uh, and he is on the team as an infielder. So you may see him possibly called up. But he can play multiple positions, including second base as well. And so I don't know the seriousness yet of Donaldson's injury. Have you heard? No, I haven't. Um, I, I just feel bad if I get a decent big name drawn. I, I thought he was a big name. I guess we felt baseball. Josh Johnson's a big name. Decent player, better than average player, all-star potential, and he's just been injury-prone since we got him. And he wasn't really that injury-prone beforehand, so it's not like we got damaged goods. Correct. So, and they've, they've um, signed that you know a four-year deal to bring him in, and nothing really transpired out of that. And now, very, very first game out of the shoot, uh, he's somewhat injured. So. Pulls a hammy around in first, yeah. And, you know, getting back to Miguel Sano, I'm, I'm not a big Miguel Sano fan to start with. He, his style reminds me too much of um, uh, David Ortiz. 
where it seems like he's, every swing he's going for the fences, he won't go for a base hit. That, that's just my opinion. But Sano, he's kind of got that stance like a Frank Thomas where he stands up straight. So he's got the bigger strike zone. But he hasn't made the name like Frank Thomas had because Frank Thomas was known for having a good eye. Frank Thomas could get the call. Well, Sano doesn't yet because, well, that 300 get MVP, son, then you'll start getting the call. So Sano can put up some decent numbers, keep his mouth shut with the umpires and not get a bad rap. He might stick it, start getting those calls in a year or so, maybe by the end of this year. But um, frustration on fans. I hear a lot of fans with, oh, Sano don't get the call. Get some rings or bat 300 or get a batting title or something like that, and you'll get some respect and you'll get the call. I mean, Greg Maddox could put the ball through a Cheerio if you wanted to, however you put it. But he earned that. You know, he earned that respect on getting the close call and everything else. Frank Thomas oh. earned respect on getting the balls and strikes calls a batter. So it just comes with time. Be patient. For those interested, Miguel Sano last season had a 48% strikeout rate. 48% of the time he yep. made a plate appearance, he was striking out. But when he puts the ball in play, boy, it does go. Um, but you're right. He's, he's still – Still young. He's not going to get those calls. Kind of reminds me of a reminds me of a Jack Clark or a Rob Deere type hitter. You know, all or Rob nothing. Rob Deere, yes, yes. But uh, that's, awesome. that's all I got for concerts and music. I said, uh, keep eye on Medina. We will be there Friday to see Arena with Heartless. So that should be fun. I heard Medina's after this weekend. Arc sakes, they can open up more. Uh, email I got from Medina. They're starting the show earlier because now clubs now they can stay open later than when they originally had scheduled this concert. So they're all excited that, hey, the band's going to play longer now because we could stay open longer from when we booked the concert. So that's a good thing there too. So we're getting back to normal, kind of. Hopefully. That'll be fun. Looking forward to the show. Uh, album? Are we set for the album of the yes, week? Yes, album of the review? week, sir. What do you got? The album of the week review is The Doors this week. The Doors. 1968 release called Waiting for the Sun. There it is. Sharing it here, Waiting for the Sun. Waiting for the Sun is a third studio album by American rock band The Doors. Released by Electro Records on July 3rd, 1968. Now, July 3rd is uh, exactly three years later Jim Morrison was found dead in 1971, also on July 3rd. So, this was their third studio album. It became the band's only number one album that topped the charts for four weeks, including their second U.S. number one single, Hello, I Love You. The first single released in the album was The Unknown Soldier, which peaked at number 39 on the Billboard Hot 100. It also became the band's first hit album in the U.K., which peaked there in the U.K. at number 16. The album cover, if you're looking at there, is, was photographed by Paul Ferrara in Laurel Canyon. And so Laurel Canyon outside of Hollywood you know, really became a big mecca for music and music fans and bands, uh, drug use, and cocaine and everything else uh, back in the days. But uh, this album, 33 minutes, 10 seconds, coming up on uh, 53, 53 years ago, this album was released. Now, the, the reason I picked this, this album is the first two, they had, Jim Morrison had so much content, lyrics and songs written, he had a whole collection. They got together as a band and they used that all up on the first album and the rest of it on the second album. 
there was only one song left that uh, of his inventory, we'll call it, uh, for this album, and that was that was "Hello, I Love You," which which uh, did really well. But after that, didn't have much material, and they were doing concerts and touring, and so by the time they had the studio booked for this, many of the tracks on this album were actually created in the studio. The production of the album was by Paul Rothschild. This led to multiple takes, and at one point, the drummer walked out of a session frustrated at Morrison's behavior and Rothschild's growing perfectionism on this album was also part of an issue for the band because each song required at least 20 takes to get it recorded. The Unknown Soldier took 130 takes to get that song wow. done. So they, this, you know, you kind of book the time you get in the studio, you don't have your stuff prepared and now you're writing the, uh, the music and it turns out to be your you know best best album this this album sold it went in the u.s platinum but overall worldwide sold seven million albums here's the track listing song one hello i love you song two love street now oh, i got some notes here love street Love Street, Jim Morrison wrote for his girlfriend, Pamela Corson, who also later died in 1974. Love Street was about her. Um, song three, Not to Touch the Earth. Assuming it's a song about getting high, Not to Touch the Earth. Summer song, uh, summer, uh, song number four is Summer's Almost Gone, followed by the next song, another season mentioned, is called Wintertime Love. Song Six is The Unknown Soldier, one of only two songs on the entire album that uses a bass guitar. The Doors don't have a bass player. Unknown Soldier, they brought in a couple session guys. Very good song, military theme, Unknown Soldier. Side two, Spanish Caravan. That's the other song that has a bass. Now Spanish Caravan also, uh, has a flamenco guitar on that song. Flamenco guitar. Very good song, Spanish Car Caravan. Song two is My Wild Love on side two. Song three on side two is We Could Be So Good Together. Song four on side two is Yes, The River Knows. And the final song on the CD is Five to One. Five to One is also a military theme song. Military theme. You know, this was 1968. Songs are uh, really talking about uh, the Vietnam War at this time. Here's the personnel. Vocals, Jim Morrison. Keyboards, Ray Manzarek. Guitar, Robbie Krieger. And drums, John Densmore. And like I mentioned, they had a couple songs in the album that they used uh, um, some bass using some session guys. That's why they let the doors. They never had a bass player. In the lineup. No bass player. No bass keyboards. Tone on the keyboard. Yep. A drums, keyboard, and a, and a guitarist and a vocalist, but no, mm -hmm. uh, no bass. Now I've got a couple other notes here. I believe I was going to mention, and then we'll wrap up. But this was this was good. Uh, this is good. And like I said, they had used up most of their. Jim Morrison's original songbook, songbook on their first two albums. Consequently, after the 
after months of touring, interviews, and television appearance, they had little new material. And uh, so they had to bring in some, uh, some fresh stuff. Uh, here's the, the singles that were released in March of 1968 before the album came out was The Unknown Soldier. That was released in March. And then June, Hello, I Love You. And then the album was released July, uh, July 3rd. Once again, the album cover there, photo from Laurel Canyon, lots of, uh, lots of stories if you look up. There's actually books written about some of the events that went on in Laurel Canyon back in the 60s. It became a hot spot there for uh, you know, the mamas and the papas. Yep. A lot of drug use and uh, prostitution and whatnot. Free love, flower, flower yes. uh, really came out and that really opened the door there. It was just close enough to Hollywood. It was just far enough outside that you felt like uh, you're out in the country. And that's where people ended up buying houses and, and hanging out and throwing some huge parties. A lot of those from the Mamas and the Papas. Cass Elliott threw some huge parties at their place. Mama Cass knew how to have a good time. Mama Cass. So that's the album review. It's 1968, The Doors, Waiting for the Sun review this week. Uh, go out and get it. Good stuff. Did you ever see The Doors movie with Val Kilmer? Yes. I thought it was okay. I was never a big Doors guy. I mean, I was too much there on the radio, but, you know, I never got that into it. Even when, when the movie came out, the guy had their research popularity. I listened on the radio. They were okay, but nothing to get. Yeah, they've got some. They've got some good songs. They were in that uh, LSD, you know, that uh, yep. the, the drug psychedelic uh, items, and um, very, very good, good stuff. But I don't find myself popping that in the uh, the record player too often, or my Sony Walkman. But the Sony Walkman. Yeah. I do like the history, uh, Jim Morrison's uh, background and the history of these guys. Uh, I find more yep. of an interest in their music itself. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, the music. The first couple albums were really good because. The, the rest of the band, they had the music, they just needed words, and Morrison had the words. And then, they, like you said, they ran out of stuff and material. And by this time, they ran out of material. They were into uh, uh, drugs and everything else that, that yeah. they actually became more creative with some of that, but they're running on, on fumes at this point. There's not right. much left in the tank. Yep. Yep. That's all I've got for the uh, album review. Anything more for uh, this episode, Andy? No, just uh, those of you on Anchor, before this, you heard uh, my bit from Tuesday and Dan's Wednesday. Then you hear the new show. Uh, we're going to try that for a while. Uh, let us know if you want the midweek releases separately. Let us know. If not, you always hear them before the new episode. But Tuesdays on Instagram, I'll have a set of page two, it's called. This week will be about the retirement of Roy Williams from North Carolina. And then Dan has a baseball-themed episode Wednesdays on the YouTube that's correct. Once again, feel free to uh, leave your comments below in the in the area here and uh, requests as well. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good week. See you. Hey, welcome to page two, the third episode of our little special here on for Sports and Songs on Instagram. Today's topic, like I talked about <clears throat> on last weekend's show, uh, sports and politics. I'll kind of go through a little history of it first from something back in uh, 2017, and then we'll get up to current day stuff, let you know what's going on. First of all, what brought me to this is I was kind of going back through some old stuff. The NBA All-Star Game was supposed to be in Charlotte, North Carolina back in 2017. But they argued it and wanted to pull the bill, bill or pull the game because of a bill called the Bathroom Bill. 
Um, basically, what happened is the National Basketball Association uh, said they're going to pull the 2017 All-Star Game from Charlotte over the state's House Bill 2, HB2, which establishes a statewide bathroom policy with regarding to transgender individuals using government facilities. In a similar move, the NCAA announced that the cities interested in hosting the NCAA championship must specify out, must have a specifically outlined how they will protect participants and spectators from discrimination. The cities must complete an NCAA questionnaire detailing local anti-discrimination laws and provisions for refusal of services. The new policy the new policies applies even to championships already awarded to facilities. So these places could have sold tickets, advertised that everything's coming, and then have it pull underneath their feet because these non or these uh, transgender bathrooms. Charlotte was going to build this brand new NBA facility. They're going to have it all set, but none of the bathrooms are listed as transgender. They're listed male, female. And I'm sure they had the family rooms too for the um, changing tables and stuff. But since they didn't have this as transgender, they were going to pull the All-Star game. Well, you know what? That All-Star game that year was played in New Orleans because Charlotte said, see ya, take your, take your game and go. Um, they did. The game was played in New Orleans that year instead. Now, <clears throat> here's some other facts about that. The NBA moved the All-Star game to the Spectrum, or from the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, home of the Charlotte Hornets. Um, they moved to New Orleans over the bathroom bill. It was the first major sporting event in the United States to be relocated for political reasons since 1993. In that instance, the NFL relocated the Super Bowl out of Tempe, Arizona, because the state did not recognize Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The Public Facilities uh, Privacy and Security Act, commonly known as House Bill 2 or HB2, in South Carolina, statute passed in March of 2016, and it, allowed, and it was signed into law by Governor Pat McCroy. The bill amended state laws to preempt any anti-discrimination ordinances passed by local communities and, controversially, schools and other facilities for the single-gender washrooms to only allow people of a corresponding sex as listed on their birth certificate to use them. Now, I'm pretty sure there was no guy standing there at a security guard checking IDs, but enough people were going to say, hey, there's stuff going on in here security would came to the arena. I'm pretty sure they didn't have like checking IDs and checking birth certificates to see you were what you said you were. But again, Richard or Karen say, hey, someone went in the wrong bathroom. We're going to have problems. So that's what happened now. And opponents of the bill described as mostly anti-LGBT LGBT legislation in the United States. I got to get the letters right. I always get them mixed up. And that's not a slam. I just... I'm not good with acronyms. Um, a worldwide test, uh, state and counties and cities all got involved, everything else. It got to be kind of an ugly mess for a while. Um, I know the attorney general there in North Carolina later changed that law. So things can go back to where they were, the way they want them. But uh, that happened then. It was uh, repealed March of 2017. Now, the PGA, uh, Professional Golf Association, and Major League Baseball Want to boycott Georgia, uh, PGA for the Masters coming up here soon, and baseball for the All-Star Game is scheduled for in July in Atlanta. Civil rights groups are calling for major sporting events to be moved from Georgia after the state's GOP-led government passed an election reform bill that Democrats say 
will restrict voting rights. The Masters is set to take place in Augusta, and the All-Star Game, like I said, in July in Atlanta. But athletes and activists are promptly are reportedly now calling for both locations to be reconsidered in the wake of the controversial bill. What it does is they Georgia passed a voter ID bill. What that has to do with sports, I haven't figured that part out yet. I'm a little confused on that. So bear with me on that for sounding like I'm not educated. I am. I just get what voting for president and governor and Congress has to do with golf and baseball. I don't see the tie in here. Um, the National Black Justice Coalition is among the groups calling on pro golfers not to tee up and for this because this law. Tony Clark, executive director of Major League Baseball Players Association, told the Boston Globe that his union wants to discuss a possible venue change with the league. So baseball is supposed to start this week. Their all-star game is set for July. We're finally getting baseball back, sports back, and everything from COVID. And now they want to relocate the all-star game over a voter ID bill. Um, as it relates to the all-star game, we do not have we have not yet had a conversation with the league on this issue. So they haven't talked to the league about complaining about it or moving it or changing it. But they're all crying, so we're going to move it. We're going to take our ball and go home. But no one's had a conversation with the league yet going, hey, guys, we're uncomfortable with this. Can we make changes? They just want to up and take the ball and go home. This is kind of sounding like NFL-type issues here, guys. Everybody's starting to boycott NFL stuff or lose faith in NFL stuff and not like them. And now baseball starting to sound just like them. Um, activists also call for a boycott of Coca-Cola after the Atlanta-based company pledged to fight racism last summer. You know, same Coca-Cola who said, be less white when you to their employees. So now Coke's really losing it on both ends there. Um, President Biden called this week of the Jim Crow of the 21st century on this. You youngins, a little history on Jim Crow. Jim Crow laws were state and local laws that were enforced by racial segregation in the southern states. These laws were enacted in the late 19th century and early 20th centuries by white southern Democrat legislators. So there was no legislator named Jim Crow. It was just a generic name. Uh, Jim Crow persona was a character, a theater character, by uh, Thomas Wright. And it was a racial description of African Americans and their culture. So they called them Jim Crow laws. So don't start looking up the right Senator Jim Crow any letters. There's no such thing. Um, so that's that is basketball did get an all-star game moved. The NFL did get a Super Bowl moved. Baseball wants to move the all-star game. And golf wants to relocate the Masters. The Masters, as far as I know, as long as I remember, has always been played in Augusta. It's supposed to be played in Augusta. That's where it is. Um, so I don't know how they're going to move that in less than a month. I don't, who, who knows, but this just has to go with write your athletes, write your congressman and go, guys, really, this is all about a, a voter ID bill. You change it because of a holiday. You change it because of a bathroom. And now you change it because they want you to have an ID to vote. Voter IDs and bathrooms, I don't see those being really big issues on why we have to uh, 
change the sporting events. I, I, I don't get it. Um, they want us to bag, they're now telling athletes to boycott Coca-Cola because the way they do hiring stuff. Okay, how about this? Instead of putting it out on public, just send a little email or uh, note out to all the teams going, hey, let's, let's not use Coca-Cola's advertisement for a while. Let's do it that way instead of saying, don't buy their stuff. Don't drink their stuff. Because uh, if sports are starting to get mad at Coca-Cola, Sprite's made by Coca-Cola. LeBron James still supports Sprite. Um, I know a lot of the other athletes are all Coke advertisements, Pepsi advertisements. We'll see how that goes. Will they all start advertising for Pepsi now instead? Are they going to advertise for the other brand just because? Who knows? And you know what? Who cares? I'm going to buy what I want to buy. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. And they should play where they want to play. It shouldn't have to do with voting. And I thank you all for listening to this episode of uh, Page 2. Please leave your comments in the comment section below. And don't forget to check out our show on Saturdays on YouTube, Sundays on your podcast for sports and songs. Um, Dan has a special about baseball every Wednesday. And this and his baseball segment you will find on Podcast Fridays. We'll have the audio for that out. Thanks again. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Sports and Songs. I'm your co-host, Dan. Today's episode is going to feature the 2021 Minnesota Twins outfield prospects. Outfield prospects. Today is March 31st, 2021. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our blog, and also on YouTube for our weekly shows. Once again, these week, uh, midweek bonus episodes are roughly 10 minutes. Twins, opening their roster, here we go. Here's the Twins in the big league roster for opening day, which is tomorrow. They got Byron Buxton in center, Max Kepler in right, Kyle Garlick in left. Jake Cave is gonna be the fourth guy. So we've got four. They followed spring training. It was quite interesting with uh, Kyle Garlick uh, coming out and winning that position. Uh, Brent Rooker did not make it. Alex Kirilov did not make it. We'll see those guys eventually, but Garlick will start the season with the Twins in left field. He uh, was a free agent pickup from the Atlanta Braves. I think he's 29 years old. Uh, always done well in the minors. Uh, has a couple stints in the majors. He's only about a 200 hitter, but a very good defender. Um, and also hits for power. And we also have to remember that Alex Kurilov is essentially uh, a right fielder. They're trying to plug him in the left. And I think it may take some time to develop that. But, uh, Garlic is, uh, is a left fielder. These are rankings. Twins organization only. Top 30 rankings are out for the prospects. If we sort the prospects, the ones that can play outfield, in order, here's what we've got. Alex Kirillov, prospect number two in the entire organization. So we will see him. He'll be up sooner or later. Now, for position, I've got him in right. Uh, I think they want to convert him to left, but I think ultimately he'll be a corner outfielder. He's 23 years old. Underneath the notes section, 
He will start in AAA for the St. Paul Saints. My guess there is that he will play left. Left or right. The next prospect is Trevor Larnick. Larnick, third overall prospect in the Twins organization. He's also a right fielder by trade. He's 24 years old. He will start the season in double-A in Wichita. Planning on going to senior games in Wichita. Look for Larnich in the outfield. Uh, next, the Twins have Gilberto Celestino, the ninth prospect in the Twins organization. He's more of a center fielder. Only 22 years old. He came over from the Astros in the trade for Ryan Presley. He will also start in double-A at Wichita. It's more of a center fielder. He's got some high-end potential, though, uh, for, the, uh, for the Twins. Next guy is Mizial Urbina, 11, number 11 on the prospect list. Only 18 years old. He's listed. In 2018, he was listed as number six on the entire international pipeline prospect list in Major League Baseball. Number six, so high upside for him. He's a true center fielder. He'll start off only in the rookie league this year. Very young, very young. Then we've got Brent Rooker, number 13. I think we'll see him first of these prospects to make the major leagues this year. He's going to be starting the season in the alternative training site for the Twins. Uh, he is a left fielder, but also play first base and that's what the twins like uh, as is Kirillov, Matt, uh, Alex Kirillov, first base. Rooker will start the season in the taxi squad in St. Paul. He's 26 years old. He's the oldest of this group. He's ready to come up. I think he's ready. He's pretty much done everything. They're going to work on his fielding a little more. He could be interesting in the future. Another hits for power. Power hitter. Next one is Matt Walder. Walder's listed at 14 on the prospect list for the Twins. He is a right fielder only. 23 years old. He will start in low A this year. Low A is going to be Fort Myers. The Mighty Muscles this year. I think he's going to move up to Cedar Rapids. And we may see him the following year in Wichita, which is class double-A for the Twins. The Twins are stacked up in the outfield position here, so we've got a lot, including Alaric Solari. It may even be pronounced Solari. He's number 17 on the prospect list. Left fielder, 21 years old. He is a versatile guy. He'll start in high A this year in Cedar Rapids in 2021. Now, the Twins say that he may be developed as a second baseman. He could play, actually, both. But in the outfield, he's more comfortable on the left. Very versatile, 21 years old. And if there is too much depth in the outfield with all these guys ahead of him, his, his, his odds may be better at, at second, second base. Then we have Travis Blankenhorn, 19th prospect. We've all heard of him before. He's been up uh, once last year, I think maybe even twice. He's 24 years old, left fielder. Now, officially on the prospect list, he is a second baseman, third baseman, 
and an outfielder. I think he's more comfortable at third base, but we have Josh Donaldson there. And so, once again, he can play second, third, and outfield. Uh, more of a utility guy. Now, we dropped Marwin Gonzalez this year. Think of, uh, think of Blake and Horn, kind of like him. He can play uh, second, third, outfield. You can plug him in anywhere. Very good defensively. He's 24 years old, so he's ready. He'll be also at the AAA level this year. Look for him, St. Paul Saints uniform, playing one of those positions. And then we've got the last prospect is Emmanuel Rodriguez each. Sorry, prospect number 21. He's also a center fielder. Only 18 years old. Now in 2019, he was listed as number eight on the international prospect list in all of baseball. He will play in the rookie league this year. Lots of talent for the Twins. So, got the guys in the big league, 26-man roster, four of them. We got the prospects of the guys coming up. Now, with the current guys, there's the number of years remaining on the contract. Kepler in right is locked in for the next four years. He can also play center. He's typically a right fielder, though. Buxton. Still have two years with Buxton in center. If he stays healthy, that is. And then we've got Cave on a one-year deal. Twins like him as a fourth outfielder. Uh, he could be easily renewed. And then again, Garlic was only here on a one-year deal anyway. And so I think he's going to be one just to kind of fit this year. And then with all this depth coming up, uh, we'll see him roll, roll off. Now, if we're looking at age, it's the exact same prospect list. This time sorted by age. Oldest to youngest. Brent Rooker, 26. So I think the urgency there, why you see the urgency with Brent Rooker is because of the age. He might be coming up already in April or May. Or he could spend a bunch of time at the big leagues already in 2021. He's set. He's competed at all levels. The minors, he, he's ready to go. So we'll see what happens there. Trevor Larnich. He's 24. He's going to be in double A this year, which means he'll probably be in triple A next year as a 25-year-old. And then he'll be ready to come up. But the question is, will there be room? Larnich. Now keep in mind, trade bait. Twins are stacked in outfield in the prospect list. We have some potential trades in the mix that could come in here. Travis Blankenhorn, 24 years old. Uh, he is pretty much ready. He could come up once again at any position. And I think the next guy here is Alex Kirilov, number one pick over, number one pick for the Twins. And He's only 23 years old. And I think there's not a big rush to bring him up. One of the keys with Kirillov is if they bring him up after April 16th this year, it won't count against one of his years as being a big leaguer. And the Twins will have him to stay for many years. And once his four-year deal, uh, once he makes it to the big leagues, uh, is up, he could be a very expensive free agent. So the Twins want to keep him on as long as they can, can and try to get that extra year 
out of him before his price goes way up and he could be gone. Hopefully he could be another Kepler that we can have along for years to come. Uh, but he's only 23. Look for him to be up this year. It's not right away. Now, we've got Matt Walner. He's only at the low A level. Uh, he's a distant uh, several years yet before he comes up. And then after that, we've got the youngsters. Celestino is only 22. Solari, 21. Like I mentioned earlier, the two guys, Urbina and Rodriguez, very, very young. Now, because this episode is prospects only, this doesn't mean this is all the twins have in their organization for outfielders. Let's take a look at the veterans. Names you may not even know, twins have signed Rob Ruff Snyder. Outfielder, age 30, South Korean, was a college stud at Arizona, was named MVP of the College World Series the year that Arizona won it a few years back. Was drafted by the Yankees, floated around, now he's age 30. He could be a serviceable outfielder in any of the positions. So if we look for injuries or whatnot, we still have these guys that are going to start the year, I believe, in AAA. Keon Broxton, straight center fielder, age 30 also, Juco player, the junior college drafted by the Phillies. And he has spent time with five major league teams, five. He's bounced around. And so the, the Twins also have these two individuals. They could, they could be up and ready to come in for a spark, uh, stop, uh, spot start here and there on the big league team. And in the meantime, Meantime, they could be in AAA, uh, playing in the uh, St. Paul Saints organization as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the Twins uh, outfield this year with all the prospects that they have. Please leave your comments, questions below. Thanks for listening.